All right. Well, hopefully everyone had a great holiday break. I know I was lucky enough to see some family as uh, Matt, you were just telling me before the show, you were also had some family in town, but we, what we were talking about is kind of the, the rank of the family. Like when you go <laughs> to see your extended family, it's always important to understand what your position is and where you rank in the importance of everyone else seeing you. Absolutely. And I'm going to put on uh, the table here that son-in-law is essentially the worst rank. It's like the private, it's the lowest ranking level of uh, when you're in an extended family situation, because, you know, you obviously have your, you know, your partner in, in this case, you know, my wife and she's seeing her family. So of course that's the daughter. So they're, yeah, they're yeah. great. They're very excited to see their, their children as any parent would be, as we all sure. would be. Um, but then of course, competing with that is really the, the grandchildren are always yep. generally, especially the younger, the grandchildren, the higher their rank, like a infant grandchild is like, is the general of that, of the family. Like that's the most important person. And then yeah. when they're in like elementary, maybe they go down just a little bit, right? Because they're still fun and they're pretty uh, generally respectable, respectful and they do things. And then like now the teenager grand, I had some of this experience, yeah, the extended yeah. cousins, the teenager grand uh, child starts to like kind of come down a little bit, right? I mean, they're not as low as son-in-law, but they start, everyone starts to look at them like, oof. <laughs> well, I don't know. They, they, Maybe they, they given, should go out and go to the movies they, on their they're own. They're the the um, the teenager pass. You know, they're like, oh, they don't want to hang out with you know the family and and you know the grandparents are like, well, you know, they're a teenager. Um, I mean, it, it's uh, it, it's not exactly. I, I was <laughs> reminded of uh, weird weird science where. Um, the, the grandparents are like, you know, what teenage boy doesn't want to spend time with his grandparents? Well, the, the answer was uh, most of them. Um, I mean, he, you know, he's he, he's done his quality time, uh, but uh, he is, uh, he's, you know, got to squeeze in his two and a half hours of, of video game time playing with his friends and uh, trying to explain the ins and outs of running a Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Um, grandparents can only have so much attention for that. And so... Uh, <laughs> But you're right. There's a nice give and take because there is like they they get the pass. Like as a parent, you're not giving the teenage child this kind of pass, but a grandparent does. They just make all the excuses. They're like, they have to. They have things to do. Maybe you know they're they sleep <laughs> well, in later. They're tired. No, no, no. I know, no. but like I'm it's, just saying, the grandparent it's, perspective. It's just just yeah. a lot of like making up. Like you know, it's just that time of their life, and then maybe a little bit like you know you you know you were and this may be referring to your wife, but your wife you know your wife was a little bit like that. So so there is, but I like the idea there. It's sort of like you know as you kind of get older as a grandchild, you come down, but there's a floor. Like you're always an officer. You're never. It's well, never. It's never like you're falling into enlisted territory like son-in-law son-in-law is like i mean you're at the absolute bottom i mean <laughs> well, you are always an officer yeah. as a grandchild you're, you're you're invited to the adult table uh yeah. and then when, when you get there you know uh you can either just you know nod and, and listen in or you know you can bring your own opinions which you know the rest of the adults will chuckle along with um but yeah i i feel a little bad for him because he's uh he's he's finished high school um mm-hmm. And he's applying to a bunch of universities, but he hasn't heard back yet, uh, you know, because it's of COVID. Stressful time, all, uh, right? It's a, a stressful, stressful time, right? Yeah. And so he's he's you know furiously um, still applying for schools, uh, but no opportunity for results. And so pretty much every day is getting grilled by the grandparents of you know, well, what are you doing next? 
<laughs> there is still, but I think that it's hard. Don't you, I, don't you fall? I fall into this too myself. It's like when I see, in this case, they're my nieces and nephews, teenagers, like, and some of them are either about to go to college or they're in some of them are in college. And it's like, you know, the natural question is to like ask them, like, how's it going? What's your majoring? You know, how's school? Where are you going to school? But like, it is a topic that they get asked about all the time. So I realized that, but it's like, you know, there's just kind of like, you know, I guess you're always searching for like, some type of common ground, but it's, it's new difficult. Angle. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, and there is no new angle to like, what are you going to do after high school? There's like, there's, there's no way to ask that question that has been asked a million times before. And, and you know, the, the problem of course is we're in, we're not in lockdown anymore. You know, lockdowns are a thing of the past, but uh, with, you know, with COVID hitting, you know, 25% positive testing around here, nobody really wants to go anywhere um, in public. Uh, and so, you know, it's every day is like groundhog day, you know? Um, so, uh, so, all right. Well, before we uh, get out of this topic, I think we should at least highlight uh, the three tasks as a son-in-law, I think are, you named one, uh, one is like, need, you're the person that gets to drive everyone around, right? You're oh yeah. Expected to drive. Report. That's number one. Wrong side of the road, right? Wrong Whatever. Side of the road. E- anything. Like you're also expected to just know where everything is and how to get yep. there. And then of course you will get nothing but criticism for making the wrong turn, not parking in the right spot, right? That's just part of the job. Like there is no, you don't win like good driver award. Like if you get everyone there, nobody's <laughs> happy with it. Two, you um, you take on a new responsibility, son-in-law. It's like you then just start to like get everyone's devices. They start bringing you devices. Like you're at the table, kitchen table, you're hanging out and they're just like, uh, and it's usually directed. It's like this thing that I've been trying to do with this device is just wrong. Can you fix it? Right. It can be anything. It could be a Blackberry that you've never seen before. <laughs> it could be an iPhone. It was a computer. It was an Apple, Apple watch generation four. There you go. That's right. It is. And it's like, it doesn't work. And you're just like expected. Like, and if you can't immediately fix it within a few clicks, people are upset. Right. That's the, that's the other thing. Right. And then the other, th- the final thing is just mostly it's just to nod. I think that's the final thing. You just do a lot of nodding and you're like, good point, right? You don't like, you just kind of like do very simple uh, conversation, uh, if you will, uh, topic changes. That's it. That's the only thing a son-in-law is allowed to do. It's like, it's like being a private speak when only spoken to do only the things that ask and generally say less. So just be agreeable. That's right. So for all the son-in-laws out there that made it through uh, another holiday season, Congratulations to you. Today's show is sponsored by StrongDM. Are you still using SSH keys, RDP logins, and database credentials? Well, it's time to access your infrastructure like it's no longer 1999. StrongDM is the only modern infrastructure access platform. It creates a seamless, secure, and observable air gap between your staff and the critical infrastructure that powers your company. With StrongDM, you can instantly revoke access to every database, Kubernetes cluster, or server with just a click. Automatically log every query, SSH, and kubectl command to know who did what, when, and where across your stack. Eliminate credentials from end-user workflows to deploy access that's zero trust and least privileged by default. Trusted by your peers at Peloton, SoFi, Yext, and Chime, StrongDM is the only way to deploy secure access controls in a way folks love to use. But who believes in ad? Check out StrongDM for yourself with a no BS demo. Sign up at strongdm.com slash STT. That's strongdm.com slash STT. And of course, we thank StrongDM for sponsoring our show. All right. Well, you know, we're back from the new year. And I think uh, as I was listening back to our kind of our predictions and thinking about 
this upcoming year, I think the one thing that we should probably all be kind of obsessed with, I think if we're in the cloud market, and it was this article that I think Matt Assay wrote, I thought it was just kind of summed up something that we've talked about before, but I think it's just like a really good way, a reality check, if we, if you will, as we head into the new year. So his, the title of it is Cloud Numbers Don't Add Up. And really his point here, I'll, I'll quote him, is that the cloud numbers don't add up. Everyone claims to be, quote, cloud native and, quote, cloud first, but revenue shows cloud at just 6% of total IT spending. So public cloud adoption is happening and fast, but it's still just 6% of the total IT spending. So I think, you know, this is like, to me, this is probably the biggest thing that I think we do touch on sometimes, but it really is. It's sort of like this dichotomy between everyone's doing cloud, but they're not really doing cloud. So as I think about like this upcoming year, it's almost like a new year's resolution. It's like, we should continue to think to ourselves that like, it's not going to grow as fast as we think it's going to grow. And I, as we go ahead, Matt. No, no, no. I, 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 I think it's, I think you're you're onto something, but but my real takeaway is we see that 30% of the people say they're already cloud native, and and so what we we see here is obviously cloud native is a massive savings if only six percent of the spend <laughs> is there. I mean, 30% of the people are fitting into that six percent of the spend. Amazing, right? Well, he does a good job <laughs> taking, and I think Cote also did a similar job taking apart some of the numbers of the survey. And I I think what he hit on here that I liked was, and maybe this is just like, we all fall prey to this when we take surveys. It's just, you know, aspirational. It's like, I think you, I think you could ask anyone in almost any enterprise, you know, are they moving to the cloud? Are they using the cloud? And I think it would legitimately be correct for them to say yes, you know, but they're not, you know, it's like, it's like just being a pundit. It's just like, yeah, we're using the cloud, but no one's sitting down and like thinking to themselves, yeah, we're using it on one project or it's like a tiny fraction of what we're doing overall. It's just like no one walks in and is like, hey, are you using VMware? Like no one's asking that question, right? No one's asking like, hey, do you have data centers? Like it's just sort of like implied. And so I think that's where like some of these weird survey results come from. It's just like, no, like people are doing it. They just don't have any sense of like even their own IT spend, right? They're just like right. some, somewhere out there. And I think, it, I don't know, it, as we kind of think about New Year's resolutions, it's almost like, Hey, are you trying to get into shape? Like, who is it going to answer yes? Like, I'm trying to get into shape. Like, it is a true answer that you, like, all of us are probably seeking better health. Now, are we so, really doing things to get in better health? It's like, probably not as much as we think we should. But that's like so, human nature. Yeah, so so going cloud native is the new uh, dieting and exercising. It's like, oh, of course I'm doing that. Yeah, you don't have to ask twice. I'm going cloud native and every year, you know? Uh, you know, just like the gyms, the the clouds fill up in January and kind of empty out in March. Um, I, I, kind I, of I look like forward that. to that. <laughs> a little bit, like, I don't know if everyone's physical year is a little bit different, but like there is a little bit of like physical year, new kickoff, put thing, initiatives on the roadmap. And I think it is a little bit like dieting. Like everyone has like, yeah, we're going to reduce costs. We're going to like, we're going to make some of these apps cloud native. And then, you know, the thing that we were joking about on one of the previous episodes that showed up again here, it's like, yeah, we're going to move 50% of what we have to the cloud. Like you just feel good about saying that. It's like, it's just like saying I'm going to be down to 8% body fat. Like, why not? Like, why not say that? Like, it makes me excited. It, it could actually happen. It's probably won't, but like, there's no real penalty. I, no one's going to get mad at you for, <laughs> for setting an aspirational goal. I, I'm still caught up on the, the 30% of people who say they're already cloud native though. Cause you know, they're the ones who are like, I'm already in the top percentile of, of perfect physical health. You know, <laughs> I mean, and, and that's like, everyone thinks they're a better than average driver. 
right? And- <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Well, I think what would be the bar? Like, we, maybe we should spend a minute and think, like, what would be a fair bar to say, all right, you said you're a cloud native. What would we accept as a cloud native application, right? I, I, yeah, I mean, you, you clearly can't say it's not having a data center. Because there, there are definitely cloud-native organizations who have data centers. You know, they have physical boxes for whatever legacy reason. You know, I, I don't think that excludes you. Um, I think it's, it's, it's kind of like DevOps and, and SRE principles. It's kind of like you know it when you see it. But um, it, what it's is this? Let me throw this out. I would say you're, you're utilizing some – you've moved – made some step away from completely traditional infrastructure. Like – you're using yes, something as absolutely. a service, right? Like maybe using database as a service, maybe, you know, is so, something that is like, that isn't just exactly taking the data center, what you had before and, and putting it in the cloud. Like you're, you're doing at least one or two things that require some dependency on a service that's allowing you to not to, if you will, not manage it, right? To your point about like, I think you quoted, like you hate infrastructure. There's some, piece, maybe not all, <laughs> there's some piece of infrastructure that you've been able to get rid of in your application that's used as a service that you are not managing. Like I would accept that as a cloud. Like if you've I, got a couple of those, I'd say you're cloud native. Uh, uh, my, my, my minimum cloud native bar <clears throat> is going to be um, you're not managing any servers by hand. Okay. Fair you know, enough. I, I'll yeah. let you, I'll let you still have some of your networking gear, uh-huh. maybe a database or two, but you know, you can't have hand managed servers that that's just not acceptable as you know being cloud native yeah. so that's a nice but you, you're you're really winding it out then it's like you i, I am i am I on am. premise that's completely attainable on premise as your well, previous life i mean if, if, if someone to. yeah if someone is running you know if someone's running on-prem kubernetes that's pretty cloud native if they actually fit all their apps inside of kubernetes right I, even if it's on-prem you know the the hoops that you've jumped through to deploy your apps there means you know they're not a bunch of, you know, if, if they are pets, they're, you know, very uh, orderly pets. And, and so, you know, I, I think you can still be on premises, on premises and, and uh, be cloud native, but you can't be managing servers by hand and call yourself cloud native. All right. I think it's a fair thing. So that's, that's the, that's everyone's new year's resolution right there. Everybody, if you're, if you're uh, uh, going to be cloud native, we're gonna we're gonna measure you on the bar is you are not managing any service service servers by hand and that you know make that'll make Matt feel good that'll make uh, no SSH JJ feel good uh, everyone can go into it and say okay you've made step one and forget about it. the Kubernetes if you can get to all that Kubernetes and microservices sure great you're doing great but we're not worried about you like you know you're already in the side of the exactly gym, I mean on your own free weights you're you're an expert just go work out like you don't need any help from the trainer you're, yeah right? you're one of those people who shows up you know three four times a week on your own. You don't even need a trainer. It's like you've got a routine, right? Yeah. That that's the thing about cloud native is it's 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 almost routine, right? You know, it is a set of habits and practices that you know are, are setting you on the right path. It's you know you don't diet because you already eat right. You know you don't need to like you know hit the gym in January because you were there in December, and and that's kind of the path that everyone wants to get on. And you know whether or not you're you know running in a public cloud or you know on premises is like. What about all the edge stuff? That still counts for you know cloud native in my book. It's just how you interact with that. If 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 you are okay with you know it going down and knowing that you can replace it, 
without you know touching a bunch of stuff that feels pretty cloud native to me i like it i like it and i like that all right so we're going to check in on everybody you got uh you know basically start right now you got tw- almost a full 12 months december 31st <laughs> if you have any uh pets any servers that you're managing we're coming in we're taking them we're just taking See, them out and, taking them away and, from and, you. and that's where that's where like the cloud providers are missing their opportunity, right? Instead of allowing people to pay as they go, they need to lock them in on annual contracts like a gym. Yeah. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I like it though. I do like and that. And auto-renew. And auto-renew. I, I think as uh, some enterprising CIO or um, some some management or CEO, like that would be a pretty good, I don't know. I don't know if it's really like OKR or whatever, but it would be like, yeah, at the end of the year, nothing can be managed uh, I'm sorry. Everything must be automated, right? It'd be like it'd be like very tangible because at the end of the year, you'd be like, "All right, let's like, is anyone having to log in? Do any of these servers have special names? Do we did we do it? It'd be kind of it would be fun." So I want uh, I want some enterprising CIO to let me know if, if they do it and how how it works out. Now, speaking of cloud native, uh, I'm gonna we'll do a little quiz for you, Matt, because I, I ran across um, this great write up. It's called a, a look back at Q3 21 public cloud software earnings. So. This doesn't include all of the um, hyperscalers, as we like to say, but it's really about you know software as a service, all the people building some type of cloud services together. Now, would you have guessed that Datadog and Snowflake were the two elite performers of Q2? Because Snowflake, as we've long talked about here, um, we, we, we made a, 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 probably a poor decision, a poor recommendation. We're like, ah, oh, we weren't really sold on it, but they did well. And then Datadog... I, I don't know. I mean, I think Datadog had done well at like $30 billion and I think now they're double that. So, so like at some point, I, I don't know, I don't even know what's driving the growth of Datadog, but I just wanted to congratulate them. But did you have those two on your list? Were those the two that you would have guessed were the, the, uh, the strong performers from Q2? Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I think um, looking at, at Q2, um, let me correct, uh, 20, Matt, correct us. Q3, that was actually officially Q3, Q3 of 2020. Of, um, you know, I, I, I definitely would have uh, picked out Datadog because mm-hmm. um, they're in my portfolio. <laughs> <laughs> Snowflake, uh, obviously, we missed that one. Um, Datadog is still in like that upswing of the market where they can get a lot of growth um, without, you know, with good percentages. Uh, you know, if, if, if we jump ahead to 2021, um, you know, I can tell you what <laughs> I can looking at my portfolio. I can tell you who's not doing well. Um, well, here let's but, do a couple of numbers before we get off it. So it's like yeah. year over year growth. So Datadog, would you like to guess what what it was? What you're in a percentage as a percentage year over year growth. Datadog, hundred percent, hundred percent, not quite seventy five percent. And okay. Snow uh, Snowflake was at one hundred nine percent. So I mean, that's the answer, right? It's like that's the. Uh, that coupled with net retention, which is basically, you know, how many of the customers that are current customers are paying you more. So the net retention of uh, Datadog was over 130, uh, sorry, greater than 130% and Snowflake greater than 173%. So basically not only are they keeping everybody, but like, you know, they're adding yeah, more. Yeah. So that's the kind of like, this is where the, um, in this case, this uh, VC, but you know, he's done some really good financial analysis. That's why people get so excited. And that's why people pay, these incredible multiples, right? As they just look at it like this is some like massive annuity that's being paid and it's only growing. So yeah. 
that's how you, so there it is. That's all you got to do to create a $60 billion company. That's all you got to do is just, you know, grow your, your earnings early at hundred percent and have a massive net retention. And then, you know, boom, you're done. You're a $60 billion company. How hard could that be, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> well, as somebody who did not, uh, uh, who went through an acquisition in Q3 of 2020, <laughs> not, not that great. <laughs> did it, did it go, did it go quite the same way? Uh, well, I think this is good. Well, this is a great, uh, I've got a link in here. It's uh, the newsletter is called what? Clouded uh, Judgment. I think it's Jammin' Ball. He does a good job though, but he does a real good job. And he really takes you through how he, and I think he's kind of showing you how venture capitalists kind of decompose all of these companies, not so much from a technology point of view, but how they value them about like free cash flow, the growth, and there's all kinds of good stuff in here. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff and you want to know what you should be showing venture capitalists, I'd highly recommend uh, this thing. And congratulations. And really also uh, Snowflake, we've never had them as a sponsor. We will say Datadog though. We knew them back when, when they were like just a $10 billion company, right? They were a sponsor. So there you go. Sponsor, uh, software defined talk. I don't know. It's, I'm not sure if it's direct cause and effect. I'll let the listener figure that out, but we just know they were a $10 billion company. They advertised now they're a $60 billion company. So, so maybe all, all the people legit. should be doing. Yeah. All right. The other news uh, in this world is uh, I don't think anyone else is going to cover this on any podcast anywhere. But <laughs> That's I, our specialty. I, but I, I thought it was important. Uh, Oracle to buy medical record software company Cerner in its biggest acquisition ever. So it looks like it's something around $29 billion. And now here's, here's something I'm massively bullish on. And I just mm-hmm. go back to uh, my experience in systems management is that eventually you got to a point where someone would show up and be like, do you monitor the Cerner? Do you monitor these medical applications? And I, and oh, you know, yeah. when you first encounter them, you're like, have no idea what you're talking about. Why would we even consider that? But then as long, long as you work in the industry, you're like, this application is everywhere. You're like, because yeah. it's sort of like, if you want a proxy for like how big healthcare is in the software, because you're always like, hmm, I don't think people, that you kind of, at first you're like, it's a niche, probably no one else has it. And then you start talking to people. And you realize more and more of these large companies, even if you don't think of them as healthcare, they have some type of healthcare entity or they work with them. And then and then you'd always hear about Cerner, right? It would always be like, how do you do it? And then it's in the technology is so arcane and complex that like no one ever had like an adapter for uh, Cerner, right? It was always this very custom thing. And, of, and then you learn more about it. Like, you know, maybe you should replace this application. And then they really explain to you, that no, no, this is what that application. This it's, this is what runs everything. This is like yeah. all of our medical records. Everything is involved in this, right? So, I, I kind of have this as like one of the stickiest applications. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I'm trying to think of something. Maybe uh, here in the U.S., it would be uh, ACH. You know, like financial transactions. Like it seems like exactly. it'll never go like, away. Oh, we bought Swift. Yeah, <laughs> but just below that is probably Cerner. It's like this yeah. thing is everywhere. So, so when I saw this, I was like. And I thought it was interesting because there were some news reports today that, you know, Oracle, uh, IBM's back trying to sell Watson Health. You know, maybe they'll have uh, a luck with that. But I'm like, this is where the healthcare money is. The healthcare oh, yeah. money yeah. is with Cerner. So I think it's a kind of a, it's a great move. And I think the thing that Oracle said the acquisition would, quote unquote, be immediately accretive to the company's earnings. So I just, I just think to myself, this is a massive, uh, almost like a private equity move. It's just going to be a massive revenue stream of maintenance for them for the next 30 plus years. And Absolutely. it's going to make a ton of money. It's not glamorous. It's kind of boring, 
Most people will gloss over it, but like in three or four years, we'll be like, wow, I cannot believe Oracle makes this amount of money from Cerner. So, well, yeah. And as you look at the public clouds and, you know, what everyone was expecting out of reInvent this year was for Amazon to announce more verticals, you know, like that they were going to be offering, you know, more full service stacks and they didn't. Um, but that's exactly what Oracle's doing. All right. Is they're like, okay, well, you know, we can offer the same primitives as everybody else, but um, you know what works well is this, you know, vertical Oracle Health stack, which you know, I, I, three years out, that's what it's probably going to be called, is you know, Oracle Health, and you know, they'll they'll have it well integrated with all their tools. It'll have this self reinforcing feedback loop of you know, hey, we make these tools better. You know, our, our cloud is more responsive to this. Our SaaS offerings have, you know, direct access into, you know, these formerly Cerner properties. And it just becomes stickier and stickier. And then, you know, that is, you know, the hospitals aren't going anywhere. And, you know, the, the customers are, are going to be, you know, locked in. And uh, yep. that's, that's a kind of vendor lock-in that you can just, you know, count on that ARR over and over and over again. And so... You know, if 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 you're the likes of of you know Oracle, uh, Microsoft, IBM, you know Amazon, you can you should look around and see are there similar customers who own market verticals like this, right? Where you can say like, you know, hey, if I do this, I you know, and then, and that's why people talk about large SaaS acquisitions like a Salesforce or a Workday or something. They're like, if I lock that up, you know, I'm getting all their customers. Um, I can keep this business going without inter- interfering with it. And, you know, Cerner's already a healthy, profitable business. And, and like you said, everybody, you know, in enterprise software, a lot of people have dealt with Cerner. You know, they were a chef customer. They were, you know, I, you know, I worked with them. Um, you know, the, you know, Oracle is uh, um, getting, I, I think this is a great acquisition by Oracle. Yeah. Absolutely. I think this is five stars. You know, I mean, we missed on Snowflake, but this is a Turner. We're, we're back <laughs> strong. We're like, we're back strong. And I do think, you know, you hit on a couple of things there. I think were really well said. Like, first is like, you know, we're on a lot of meetings where people will say something like, hey, we should get, we should really become uh, focused on industry verticals, right? And then there's like, someone creates a PowerPoint and just replaces, you know, some of the general content with like, okay, and here's our financial services story. And here's our uh, healthcare story. I'm like, but this like this is getting into healthcare. Like if you own Cerner, you are like, I mean, you are by de- definition, the vertical of healthcare. So I think that's great. And then too, like we always talk about strategy on the show and it's like, you know, this is something that I don't think AWS could do. Certainly it would be a lot harder for them, right? Something like Cerner, trying to put Cerner inside AWS, I don't necessarily think it would be all that easy, but it fits perfectly into the Oracle model. So maybe eventually some of Cerner and maybe even some that runs on Oracle Cloud, who knows, maybe even some of it runs on AWS as well. But, you know, if you will, that high profitable revenue stream of maintenance, that's going to go right to Oracle. So congratulations to Oracle. No surprise there. I'm sure people um, will maybe look at it like, huh, well, why are they doing that? But to me, this is a five-star acquisition. I expect nothing but greatness from it. Yeah, I, I think it would be a fun exercise to to just sit down and like make a list of similar customers, you know, uh, people who have kind of locked up a vertical and, you know, if a public cloud gets them, now they own that vertical too. I think, I kind of feel like Spotify is, is fitting that. Like, aren't they, aren't they like 70% of streaming market now? 
I don't know, but I feel like they have like healthy com- uh, competition. I mean, the, from the, there's Oracle, yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. From, I, I, I guess from, from yeah. Apple, and they're, they're not other. as as sticky. But yeah, yeah, and that yeah, yeah, that's the thing. It's like you can with enough money and time, and Google would be the other one. Google Music and stuff like you can definitely do it. But and I don't know. I, I think that's a place that's a little bit. So we'll have to think a little bit harder. Maybe some people yeah, write in yeah. with some some suggestions. But there definitely are. And I mean, I think the other company that comes to mind here, SAP. Obviously, they didn't buy Cerner, but there's probably some acquisitions. If we went back through SAP, there's some industries that they own that we're probably not super familiar with, um, but that are probably very profitable. Yeah. Okay. Well, the other thing uh, I wanted to talk to you, talking about enterprise, I think it's it's kind of a, a seminal week here in the sense of two things happened. And I think they're they're very much related. First, Apple hits the uh, $3 trillion market cap, becoming the first company to hit that mark. So one, like that's hard to like, fathom. I don't even like- <laughs> Also I don't, in my portfolio. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Matt, Matt Ray's launching his own hedge fund here soon enough. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's pretty boring. Uh, you know, uh, the, winners like it's pretty obvious. <laughs> the winners are all obvious <laughs> and the losers are all like, you know, the kind of dumb crap that I thought would be good. <laughs> so on the financials, though, like when you look at Apple, it's just like it's just like I get it. Right. I mean, it seems like the number seems like enormous. But then you see like how much money they they make selling you know all of these Apple devices and things yeah. like that. And of course, you know. Um, I love them all. I've, I don't know. As I sit here at my desk, I've got all this Apple stuff here. We, we, but... we five Apple devices for Christmas. Wow. So... I mean, that kind of shows. I mean, it's just a great example, right? It's just yeah. everywhere. It's like it's amazing how many Apple devices are given out as gifts and how many people have it. Now, on the the bad side though, is that uh, if you were still clinging to your old BlackBerry, and I actually saw when I was doing some son-in-law duties this uh, week, I was helping go through old technology that mm-hmm. some of my in-laws no longer needed. I found a BlackBerry. I couldn't believe it. Ooh. I was like, wow, I haven't seen one of these in forever. But it, it officially, uh, service for BlackBerries officially stopped on January 4th. So that's it. So one, did it? I didn't even know it was still on. I didn't know that anyone was doing it. But it makes sense when you think about it. I'm sure there are some healthcare companies like Cerner and others where there's some <laughs> exactly. integration exactly. Um, between them. But like, I was like, wow, I mean, this has got to be, this has to be, if you will, case one in like the Harvard Business uh, Review, uh, I guess, MBA case stories that maybe the, in 2030, they're going to pull this case story up and say, okay, uh, go back in time. You're running BlackBerry. And uh, BlackBerry comes out and famously, I think they sort of, you know, kind of said Apple would never make a phone. Of course, Apple goes on to, to become the most profitable company in the world uh, doing this. So my question is, as they write up this case study and future MBA students are debating uh, this, this market, that essentially BlackBerry went to zero and uh, Apple went, you know, on to whatever, how big it's going to get. Is there anything BlackBerry could have really done in retrospect to have prevented this? Was there anything, even even with knowing this was coming, if someone had shown them the iPhone beforehand and be like, this is about to happen, and they were open to understanding that would be a competitive weakness for them, do you think they could have done anything? Man, that's one of those, you know, if if hindsight's twenty twenty, <laughs> would you still have the rake hit you in the face? And it's like, probably, right? I, I think, I think, uh, I mean, what 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 would BlackBerry have done differently, right? Uh, you know, they they weren't very open. Neither was Apple. Um, you know, they it wasn't it the the App Store is what you know put the iPhone. I mean, the iPhone was both a combination of better tech and better experience and you know, better community with the, with the, uh, the app store and BlackBerry had, you know, it, it had its, its faithful fans who, you know, people who liked that, um, 
you know, that, that experience, but I don't know what they could have done differently. That's what's sad is like, you know, what could they have done different that, you know, Nokia or, you know, Samsung didn't try. Um, you know, here we are, you know, we, we, you know, we have two valid options, you know, it's either iPhone or Android and, I don't know what BlackBerry could have done. Even today, I All right, nothing. So this would out. be this would be my theory. So if they showed you the iPhone, I guess they would have to do this. If they could go back in time and show you the iPhone, a year before it was launched, and they could also show you like, hey, here's how big the applications market for the iPhone is going to get. Right? I think okay. So if you knew that beforehand, I think this would be my proposal to the BlackBerry CEOs, and I'm sure they would have been. Uh, I would have been escorted out of the, the building immediately. Exactly. But I believe this is this could have probably worked is that go back and said the thing that they had that, you know, has taken a long time to recreate is BlackBerry Messenger. Those the basically the two way texting, right? Like they were way ahead on that, right? So what is now, you know, think about Apple Messages and SMS and all that other stuff. But even when, at the time, people we you could see SMS and people were sending SMSs, right? But at the time it's like, oh, look at this BlackBerry Messenger. Like, oh, you can like do and I think they even had some type of emoticon kind of thing. And it was and they had read well, receipts. It was but, lightning years ahead. So this this would have been my proposal. Would have been like sell everything get rid of the hardware <laughs> the, every, the blackberry enterprise yeah. server the blackberry hardware devices everything be like we got to get rid of all of this and we yeah. got to own we got to become wow. the whatsapp right you're gonna at that moment i'm gonna say our intellectual property that we are going to be great at is we're going to build the whatsapp no, for, no, no, for no. All of the phone systems and we're yeah. just going to be the app company right because we okay. can't compete anywhere else and then they would have been like, how are you going to make money? I'd be like, well, we're going to oh, get yeah. to that later, a little bit later. Yeah. But, um, but I would have said, like, we're going to divest everything. We're just going to become the WhatsApp of this. And, we, and maybe that's the chance to then branch into other potentially so, social so, media or so something So essentially, like that. They, they, they should have been Android. I mean, Google pushing Android didn't, you know, there, there, were, there were a few, you know, reference phones. But, you know, they were counting on everyone else running their you know providing the hardware so so you're, you're saying you know instead of offering an integrated you know phone and operating system they should have taken you know hey we're going to be microsoft and offer ms dos to the clone market and that would have been a big pill to swallow if you were blackberry because you know I think you, but I, I, this is both the reason it would never happen and i think oh I, I, yeah I, I, I look at it though like hey if you because even today you know whatsapp has sort of done it right but like if you go back in time that all these messaging frameworks have come out and there was a, a moment where they could have owned it, right? They could have been like, Hey, Blackberry is going to be the messaging backbone for the world. Right. And we're just going to all, and we're going to work with all the future devices. Cause that's what we're good at. Cause they were ahead there, I think. But, but the, the, go ahead. Well, but, but it's not like, you know, it's not like it was Blackberry, you know, it's not like it was one versus two. There were five, six, seven operating systems for phones. Right. I mean, there were, it was right, completely but I'm saying fractured. just go on the application, immediately discard the operating system and be like, we're just going to own messages. That's what have gotten me. This would have been the pitch that literally they would have fired me on the spot. Like your whole thing <laughs> is just to send text messages. I'd be like, yes. And it's going to be huge because I've seen the future and the future is this is where the value is. There isn't yeah. going to be any value in this operating system because the Google thing, I think the Android, you make a good point there, but you know, if we go back in history as we understand that is like, you know, Google one, they had an enormous amount of cash from search, right? So as I understand yeah, the story yeah, yeah. of Android is like what they bought it, right? They were getting ready for it to launch. 
the iPhone launched and they looked at what they had, they were like, this is awful. We have to start over. Right. But they, but Google is like one of the few companies that would have the, both the management will and the money to be like, oh, we basically need to go clone iOS. Right. And be able to do it. Like BlackBerry had no money to do that. Right. They, I think, and I don't, I don't, I mean, other than Google, it's hard to even think, I guess Microsoft sort of made the attempt as well. Right. But they all, ultimately gave up. There's really probably only two other three companies that could have even tried to build a complementary operating system. That's why I think BlackBerry, they had no chance. I'm trying to even think, what was the f- official name of the company before BlackBerry? Weren't they something else? It was, it was like BlackBerry was owned Research by... Motion. Yeah, that's was RIM, RIM right? Yeah. It's like, yeah, I don't... RIM was just too small. Like, they didn't have enough money to, like, go build an operating system. I think even with a year of advanced... Because, um, like, I, I, don't, I think I used it. Somebody I knew had a BlackBerry like after they try to compete and like you just on one swipe of like the motion, it was like very like uh, kind of like jagged, right? It was just kind of like, you could kind of see it refreshing. You're like, yeah, this isn't going to work. Like you just kind of, upon touching it, like just one little swipe, you're like, this is never going to work. You're never going to be even close to what Apple's done. So I think they had no chances is my answer to that question. (laughs) So in hindsight, they were always doomed. Pretty much. And I think this is like, you know, uh, there'd be all these books written, but I'm like, I, I think this is sort of like, you know, maybe the innovator's dilemma is just like, you're the innovator's dead, like, or, or whatever, the old company's just dead. Like, I don't, you're not going to like, there wasn't like, give, give them everyone, give them every business consultant known. I mean, I would give, I would load it up. I'd be like, you can have every uh, business consultant that's ever written a book on anything about disruption. I'll give yeah. you access to anybody that doesn't already work at Apple, right? And, you know, I'll give you and, and, and go. Like, can you create the thing? I think I don't think they could do it. I just yeah, I, like, I don't think it's possible. If I had a time machine, I'd go back. I'd liquidate my company and get index funds. Pretty much. I mean, that's <laughs> kind of what I would do, right? I, that I is just, such I a give-up strategy. <laughs> I, but, but I think it would be, like, the valid, most financially sound, valid. right? I mean, yeah. you really could say, like, we're going to sell all of uh, whatever we can get rim for it. We're just going to sell it, and we're going to invest it in Apple stock. That would have been the most powerful <laughs> trade and most profitable <laughs> trade in known to man, right? They would have gone on to make hundreds of billions of dollars, and that would yeah. be so, – so future MBAs. That when you write out the case study, just cite me. That was a the time idea. machine and index funds. Time machine, index funds. That's the answer, and that would probably not get you a very good grade in that class. So don't don't <laughs> just remember that. So, uh, all right. And then uh, Matt, you know, there's been a ton of news over the break around uh, the whole Web three, and oh. I've I have enjoyed just. Jack Dorsey and Mark Andreessen. I've enjoyed the infighting, the palace intrigue. I, I, I frankly, I love it. I feel like this is just like a new sport. They're all arguing yeah. with each other. They're kind of, you know, uh, they keep quoting Gandhi, but that's actually that quote about like, first they, they ignore you. I learned that's not actually a quote from Gandhi. I was like, ah, oh, everyone's just been saying that. It's like, it's not actually attributed to him, but it's been great. I like to watch these people go at it. It's super fun. It, it reminds me that they're just normal human beings that they, have no specific insight they just have they're, tons they're just of money normal normal hundred millionaire billionaires yeah but they but they do but when you get them down they're just arguing on twitter like everybody else they, they don't really know none of them know like they don't have any ideas either right i mean it's oh, like yeah. sure it could be huge it, it couldn't be not but i wanted everyone uh and then mark Andreessen has has taken to blocking a lot of people people that essentially don't uh, necessarily agree with his positions or I don't even know what his algorithm for block, but that's become like a big thing. He's talking about why he's blocking people. He has lots of memes about that. Okay. But Matt, you, you've gone the next level. You have, in my <laughs> mind, you've blocked all of Web3. So please explain to the audience your approach to following Web3. What have you done? 
well, well. So I am a uh, a faithful Tweetbot customer, and Tweetbot allows you to mute. Um, has a lot of muting capabilities. Regexes by clients, by by keywords, by hashtags, and um, when lately, uh, thanks to various lockdowns, I've been doing uh, too much doom scrolling, and so um, I, I have recently added NFT. Uh, I've added um, uh, Crypto Bro. Uh-huh. <laughs> so these are the I've, topics you're just you're completely black. You're completely out on. I, I, you're, I, I, you're out on I, NFT. You're out on Crypto but, but, Bro. Bitcoin fair, is Bitcoin on there. Bitcoin's on there. Yeah. Okay. To be fair, Ethereum's on there. Ethereum. Um, uh huh. Dot ETH on there. Oh, with um, the new email but, addresses but I, and domains. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I, you know, I, I Web three is on there. Okay. Um, but, but. I did not do it permanently. So, so what Tweetbot lets you get, have expirations for it. So check back with me in 30 days. And uh, maybe I will have decided like, oh, I can handle a little bit of volume of this. Because the thing about blocking is stuff still gets through. Right. right? So, so it just really gives See, you a You're really kind of smoozing it, let's say. You're kind of yeah. smoozing Web3. Maybe for this next patch of like next 30, 60 days you know, of I, infighting you're going to skip out on. I pretty much, you know, I, I can, you know, I, I follow uh, Kelsey Hightower, so I can, you know, I'll see him responding to somebody and I'll click on that and then I'll say, oh, you know, I muted parts of this conversation and, you know, getting, getting a, a healthy gist of, of what I, I want to see as opposed to just, you know, a bunch of hashtag trash in my, in my feed. So, um, you know, you need to be more aggressive. Uh, this is, this is to the general public. Um, it, it, it's not, you know, walling yourself off in an ivory tower or walled garden or whatever to like just tune down, tune down some of the noise in your feed. You need to have a lot of variety. You know, I mean, I, I've gone out of my way to add a lot more variety to my feed, but eventually you'll find that there are some people or topics that uh, they're just not worth uh, the, 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 <laughs> not the space. Worth the time. And, yeah. You know, because it's like, uh, you know, my, my, my 2020 to prediction uh, is at the end of the year, we're going to be like, so Web3, still nobody really doing anything with it. And, uh, you know, everyone's still on Facebook and um, still hating on, you know, the same things. Uh, but, you know, there's not going to be a massive decentralization. Um, I'm still not going to be buying, you know, anything with Bitcoin. Yeah. And maybe that's your, your approach there to kind of validate it is like, yeah, you can kind of block everything. But like, if it becomes successful it will leak into your normal life this is how we kind of know products are succeeding or services in general is that like you start to see them in everyday life either other people using them or you yourself are offered a chance to use it in a in a context of like that provides value it's like hey why don't you uh instead of paying me by check why don't you just uh pay me online right and and and, and that's something happens problem that's my problem with all of it is it's all evangelism with no use cases yeah and so that's, and I think, so that is, I mean, maybe the, the measurement of product market fit here is you do what Matt does. You, you just block it all, your social media. And then and in regular life, if you start to uh, encounter DeFi or Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever, then you're going to know it's like, okay, it's starting to happen. Like I was at a, I was at the dentist and they asked me about Ethereum, right? And I don't know why the dentist would ask <laughs> no, me No, no, that. no. That's the problem. But something would happen, dentist, right? The dentist would be like, so you work in computers. I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking about getting into NFTs and I'm like, you know, just yeah, clean me, my tooth, dude. Let me specify. Um, it's like when you're at the checkout counter uh, receptionist with a dentist and they're like, you know, because this is like how online bill point happened, right? Before it was like, got to write checks. And they're like, 
oh, well, I can just email you, right? Remember that happened? Like, I can just email you the statement or I can just, you can pay online. And then you're like, oh, it's starting to get mainstream. So when you're the uh, receptionist or office administrator says like, you know, you can pay in Bitcoin or like you can, you can pay us via DeFi, you know what's happening. Until then, you can go with Matt. Although I'm gonna be honest with you, I like it. I'm, I, I like, it's kind of just fun to watch. Just, I like to watch the, yeah. uh, the palace intrigue of it all. I, I mean, I, I started blocking, I, I'm not blocking tech, people i there's like there's some political people i'm just like i'm done hearing from yeah you. well that's a whole other yeah. subject that's yeah but like it, that. that, that's how i got started and then i realized like you know this is this is that same you know kind of bullshit you know creeping into you know other stuff i want to read about so this i've like tried to keep Matt, this should be your Substack that you create things you've blocked this week i think that or maybe that's your twitter that's your twitter content just you posting uh regular expressions that you're using <laughs> to entry bot that uh, you're using to block things i think that yeah, would yeah, be a public that, service for all of us i i, I should I, I should just you know i should start up a Substack about you know twitter twitter uh um, etiquette and health and how to uh stay sane um but you know, really, the stuff I'm tweeting is just you know the latest uh, random stuff that I find appealing because I'm kind of purposely avoiding some of the other things. Oh, good, oh, good. All right. Well, listen. Uh, if you're looking for other things to potentially do this spring, we have some uh, updates on conferences, Matt. That that conference that we were planning to be a part of, it was going to be in January, probably for obvious reasons. That's been postponed until May. So. So going to happen. All the discount codes are still available. So it looks like it's the, the end of May. If you're interested in going, definitely uh, check them out. Um, we plan to be there. We were planned to record our live session. Myself, Kote, I don't know, Matt, maybe maybe the new date. Maybe, I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> maybe you'll find your way to the United States for some reason. But we'll see. You know, we'll have to see what's going on. So uh, hopefully this spring, you know, we're just, I, I don't know why I'm just going to be optimistic for no other reason. You know, I just could say like Omicron and other things. It'll, it'll die down and we'll be able to do some things in person. I'm just, that's just a hopeful I, statement. I, 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 don't know I, yeah, I, I know better than to make any predictions because as soon as I book <laughs> travel, you know, here comes, you know, Omicron two electric boogaloo, man. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe we need the web three people to just channel all their optimism into that. That would be fantastic. I don't know. So anyway, hopefully it happens. I think it will. Also, there's a couple other conferences that are planned uh, for the spring. That's DevOps Day Chicago. That's uh, going to be May 10th and 11th. And they're looking for pay, uh, proposals for talks right now. You have till January 31st to do that. And then uh, DevOps uh, Day Birmingham, Alabama. Roll Tide, I know, I know, I know they didn't, not really Tuscaloosa, <laughs> but like, I, I like to say Roll Tide. So that's uh, UAB, uh, man, on, UAB. It's, <laughs> that's right. War Eagle for the Auburn fans. Anyway, that's going to be April 18th and 19th. Uh, and that call for papers, our proposals ends on January 31st there. Now, we had some nice feedback over the break. I sent stickers to Jesse in Wisconsin, and then I sent stickers to uh, Mike in Cincinnati. And continuing along our college football uh um, topics that no one cares about except me. I just uh, I, I talked to to Mike today, and he said that uh, his he went to the University of Cincinnati, Matt, right? And oh, yeah. uh, the, the Bearcats, of course, they made it to the college football playoff, and his Bengals are doing well. So congratulations to the city, the whole city of Cincinnati, for having good football. I think that's exciting. Also, Professor Jeremy, I sent him his class a whole bunch of stickers, which I mentioned before, but he sent me a sticker back of Illinois Tech. So right now, if you look oh, in wow. the uh, the show art, you can see the mascot 
of Illinois Tech. So I appreciate him sending me stickers. I like to get stickers. It's it's pretty fun. And we always uh, appreciate Professor Jeremy helping uh, spread the, the word of the show to his students. Well, now, the other thing, you know, we talked a lot about Apple, but probably the most important thing happened on Apple is Michael Neal officially got the Apple cleaning cloth that he ordered, uh, I don't know, when they announced the new Mac. So this is the $20 uh, cloth that is used to wipe monitors. He uh, sent a whole bunch of pictures of the unboxing. Don't worry. I have uh, put them on Instagram. There's a link right now in the cover art. If you go look at it, you'll see it. You can see the full unboxing of the Apple cloth. Uh, it's, and it's simply fantastic. It's the most Apple product of all time. Like the, the effort the cloth, the packaging, and he's got a full review. He does says that uh, it does wipe things off your monitor. So just fantastic. I think it is just a great thing. And finally, if you had joined the Slack this week, you could have gone into the podcast production channel and seen uh, Kote uh, do a little, if you will, uh, how to, how does he make videos? He did a little, and his daughter was the one that was filming him. And I do think she has a, uh, a potential future as a director of photography for art films because she took a uh, lot of liberty with angles and kind of motion and things yeah. like this. But I think she like did a regular really good Sophia job. Coppola. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of, she does. She kind of had that vibe. She's also very direct to, uh, in this case, her father, also her talent <laughs> about what he should or should not be doing and uh, how entertaining it was. So if you join the Slack, if you'd like to learn how to make, how Kote makes videos, uh, you can. And also, Kote did a TikTok this week. He did one. Uh, so you should check check out his TikTok account. So, And then, of course, uh, I'm sure he'll be back next week. with a, He'll have a fantastic reason about why he was unable to to join today's recording. I predict, my prediction, is he fell asleep. Matt, you have a prediction about why, Kote? That's a, that's, that's a pretty solid prediction. All right. We're going to go with that one. All right. And then... Um, Finally, Matt, let's get to recommendations. What is uh, your recommendation for this week? Well, it's uh, January and beginning of the year. So um, the well, you know, that uh, good old long-lived website that's been around for since the dawn of time or whatever has a thread that starts up every year uh, called the State of the World. And oh, right. it's, okay. it's hosted uh-huh. by um, uh, the, the uh, science fiction author, you know, commentator uh, Bruce Sterling and uh john levkowski um and so they're they're both somewhat austin based you know now they've gone off and and done other things and they bring in um various uh thinkers and they just kind of riff on things that are happening and you know their uh you know off culture counterculture whatever uh views of them and it's it lasts for two weeks so they they start the thread and they kind of go back and forth and, and, you know, different people chime in and, and bring angles to it. And so if, uh, if you are a fan of, you know, Bruce, Bruce Sterling, obviously, but things like um, uh, Neil Stevenson or um, William Gibson, you know, they, they, they bring just kind of that off kilter angle to a lot of things, which I enjoy. I enjoy greatly. And uh, it's, it's a fun read that lasts about two weeks. So, you know, uh, read it daily or, you know, wait, uh, wait. So what did they start? When they started, um, we started the January, I want to say the first, but maybe it was like the second. All right. So you got about a week but, left. To, yeah. Yeah. To the, mm-hmm. yeah. All right. So it's good. Uh, well, you and, need to come back. Maybe give us like, actually, you, yeah, this year's a little slower. Um, I, you know, maybe COVID's just got everybody down, but, uh, you know, some of the years they've been like, you know, 200 posts, uh, this year, I think they're only up to like 70 so far. 
All right. Well, everyone check it out. Maybe Matt, you can uh, come back and tell us like the most important post to read next week. Seems like you're on top of it. You know, I, I, I need a cultivated feed of that from, from you. There's no cultivating. It's too random. Yeah. <laughs> even, even more important. Uh, well, that sounds good. Well, uh, my recommendation this week is uh, station 11. It's a new series on HBO. And of course, everybody remembers that I recommended the book on episode 137. I'm sure every, every one of you recommend it. So just to show our consistency is I read this book a while back and I really liked it. And then they uh, came out with a mini series that's on HBO Max and I really like it. Now, a little warning here. I mean, it is uh, it does take place kind of right after a pandemic. So it's a little bit like, I don't know, maybe it's a little close to home. If you're kind of don't want to yeah. watch dystopian uh, things after a pandemic, I would understand. Maybe you just put this on the list for watch it in three years or something when you're looking. But I really like it. I did read the book and I really like the book. So I think they've done a good job bringing it slightly different, but I really like how they're bringing it to the, if you will, the small screen. And I just find it really captivating. So it's a, yeah. it's a good book and it's a good miniseries if you're looking for something to watch. I, I, I kind of put it in that same bucket as Don't Look Up, um, which I haven't watched. I saw the trailer and like, I get it. Too painful. Right. I did. Yeah, I passed on that. <laughs> Although, don't look up. You know, it's not about the pandemic, right? I know, you, I know, but it, okay, it, you know the whole story there, just, right? Yeah I, yeah, I know the story, and it's just like it's too painful. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's funny. I had the same feeling. Yeah, so this is this is close. You should watch. The, like, uh, I don't look up. I just watched the Netflix trailer, right? And I had that same kind of feeling, like. This is probably important to watch, but I'm not going to do it now. So Station Eleven, you should just let the trailer run, and you can, and that's enough. Like I think it's really good, but it may not be the time in your life to, to, to watch it, right? I, I, uh, I'm muting that kind of stuff from my my feed. I don't know. I guess we should. I, I feel like also too, like Matrix Four. Should, did you watch it, Matt? What's your? I, I can't go to theaters. Yeah, can't. Oh well, again, uh, I, did, I, did, I did. I did catch Dune. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, in that brief lull of the first week it opened and then the, the new pandemic. So I, I did catch that and nobody okay. was in the th theater. So I loved it, but, uh, I don't see myself back in a theater anytime soon. Yeah. Well, we, I got to watch on HBO max. So I don't know. You need to work the Australia yeah. thing. So, uh, Dune, I think Dune was the best movie last year by far and away, but uh, we'll see. We'll see what the Oscars and other people say. Matrix four. Like, I, I don't know. It's like, I think you just are the kind of person like you either, like like the matrix and have already seen it or you probably don't care like i love the first matrix i think it was, i think it's phenomenal this one like i thought it was fine i didn't i can't tell you it was great but like if you like the matrix i feel like you have to see it and it was like it was kind of a nostalgia more than anything it was like it was worth it so i don't know that's a recommendation it's more like of course you'll enjoy it if you're a matrix fan all right well with that if you would like to subscribe to software defined talk probably just do it right now in the podcast player you listen to or Go to softwaredefinedtalk.com and you can subscribe using your favorite podcast player. Also, if you want to see all the things that we talked about and a lot of things that we didn't get to, uh, go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 338 and you'll see all of the show notes uh, for this episode. And you can also look at all the show notes in your podcast player as well. And with that, we will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Well, I was going to say, maybe you should tell everybody, this will be a little streamer's delight here. Like it's uh. Were you at UT? Like, maybe you can explain oh, yeah. to everyone all... how how UT decided to run off the grackles. Like, I think that's a good story. Oh yeah, they here. they they used to have cannons. Um, like uh, maybe not cannons, but, but describe like, it. No, it wasn't. Like, you need to it describe it. It was like a legitimate yeah. cannon. It was like pulled on a truck, right? Like there was yeah, this yeah. truck, and I mean, it looked like an old school cannon. I mean, it it kind of. I don't know if it's the same. It kind of looked like the one they used at the football games. I know it's not the same, but it kind of had that I, kind I, of. You know, look the thing at, is, I never it. saw it. I'd always hear it. Oh, gee. I, I think if you didn't know, so for those that don't know, 
it would just like you just be walking in the street or I mean on the sidewalk and the sound was I mean it was like a cannon went off but it's like if you didn't know it was coming it was so unbelievably startling I was just there one time and I literally jumped out of my skin so uh, <laughs> yeah. I thought it was uh I don't know if it worked out did it actually work I don't think that I think that was the other problem I don't think it actually I think, worked. you know I, I I think I think like a lot of you know things that probably worked the first you know two or three times and then and then the grackles were like it doesn't uh, matter. So you brought a cannon. Uh, you know, nothing happens when you fire <laughs> off that cannon. 